you weren't here. You weren't here. Those are the words that Mary and Martha use, both of them, over and over again, when he finally decides to show up at the funeral. You weren't here. We'll have to forgive them if they're a little bit raw, emotionally speaking. They've had a hellish week. One of those weeks where life will never be the same again. Death has come in and taken away their brother Lazarus, untimely, unforeseen. He's gone. People, when they hear the news, they shake their heads like people do. He was so young. And the crowds come around to try and comfort the family. But the truth is, there is nothing anyone can say to make these words better. Their brother is gone. By the time Jesus shows up, by the time he gets there, there are, they're in the middle of this tsunami of emotions that death brings in with it. The grief, the pain, the regret, the anger, the fear of having to face a future that you had never envisioned for yourself. In the wake of the loss that they've had this week, all they can feel is the weight of their brother's absence And we all know, we all know that weight. We will all know that weight at some point. The weight of empty spaces that used to be full, that we would give anything to be filled again. The weight that death leaves behind is this unbearable weight of absence. It's the sound of a quiet kitchen It's the sound of a quiet bed. It's a quiet bed where there used to be the sounds of sleeping in it and sheets now lay dead silent. It's the dining room table that used to be filled with sounds of eating and talking and laughing and arguing. Yeah, even that. But at least there were sounds of life. And now they're just as dead as the table that lie before them. Death leaves behind this vacuous hole that is dense and thick and weighty. And that's what Mary and Martha are shouldering when Jesus sees them, that absence. The only absence that is more conspicuous than the weight of their brother's death is Jesus' absence in this moment. Where was Jesus again? I mean, Jesus was supposed to be the one who loved them. He was supposed to be the caring and attentive one. He's supposed to be their friend. And where was he when their friend was dying? Where was he at this hellish, awful moment? Mary and Martha say he wasn't there. Jesus was absent. You weren't there, they say. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've actually been where Mary and Martha are. Maybe you've sat under that kind of tsunami that death carries with it. And you've sat with that unbearable weight. Maybe you've walked into an empty house after the death of a loved one or the death of a marriage. 
And as noisy as you've tried to be in that place, all that you've gotten back is stone-cold silence. Wherever God is, God is not there, you seem to feel. Maybe you've been to the doctor's office, and the diagnosis came back, and suddenly that room was, felt like it was depressurized, and it was hard to breathe in that space. And wherever God was, God surely was not there. If you've been there, then you would have said the exact thing to God, maybe not out loud, but in the quietness of your heart. God, you aren't here. You're not here. If you haven't been there, know that at some point, if you hang out long enough, we will all feel that same space and say that same prayer. If Jesus walks into our house in the flesh, we with Mary and Martha will say, Jesus, you weren't here. And if you've been there, then odds are you've done battle with one of the most ubiquitous sins, despair. The church mothers and fathers tell us that despair is the most ubiquitous of all sins because it's the one sin that all humanity at some time or another will experience. They kind of blush, just for you to know, they kind of blush at calling despair a sin at all. After all, it seems wildly unfair, right? I mean, who can't despair staring at the freshly turned dirt of a loved one's grave? Who can't despair looking in the face of our own mortality? Despair seems natural. And calling despair a sin kind of seems like adding insult to injury, doesn't it? Nevertheless, the church mothers and fathers remind us that despair is a sin. Because once it takes root in our souls, it can grow and choke out the very desire to live. Despair comes from the Latin word desperare, which literally means the absence of hope, hopelessness. You find someone who has, all, has lost all hope in the future, in people, in God, in this world, in themselves, and you will find a shell of a human being someone who has been robbed of a basic humanity that we were not created to be robbed of. Despair, hopelessness left unchecked leads us to death. And so the doctors of the church diagnose it as a sin. That's where we find Mary and Martha when we open up the 11th chapter of John's gospel, speaking from that dark place of sheer hopelessness. You were not here, they say. Of course, you know the rest of the story. I didn't have to read it. Jesus shows up three days later, says, roll back the stone, and the dead man comes out. Do not miss the symbolism and foreshadowing here. 
you know this story. But what, what you don't know, you've heard chapter 11 of John, but odds are you don't know what happens in chapter 12. You turn the page and we find Lazarus lounging at the table with Jesus. This man who was once dead is now gathered around the table feasting. A dead man and a dead man walking, eating together at the table. That kind of thing draws a crowd, you know. So a crowd starts forming around the table to see this man who was once dead and is up and alive and eating now. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus open their table to anyone who needs to come and meet this man who has been raised from the dead. Lazarus becomes God's way of salvation from despair. It's hard to meet someone who has been raised from the dead It's hard to shake their hand and remain hopeless. That kind of story, that kind of resurrection just makes hope infectious, right? That's Pastor John's image of church. We've been coming, walking through this Lent, a sermon series called Quit Going to Church. And rather than going to church, I've invited you to be the church. Lesson number six. Church in John's gospel is where people get together and tell the story of how God has raised them from the dead around the table with Jesus. Church is the place where the world can come and hear stories of God's, God raising people from the dead here and now. Church in that community made up of Lazaruses who tell that story until hope becomes infectious again. Here's the thing. When I gather around this table on Sunday, I see Lazarus. I see it in your faces, in your hands, in your stories. I see Lazarus. I see the people who God raises from the dead. I see people who have been diagnosed with illnesses, sometimes terminal, who have been prayed with and prayed over, who have sought wellness and wholeness and still haven't seen anything change on the CAT scans, even in the midst of those awful diagnoses. And you're here. You're Lazarus. I see people who have ridden the wave of grief after the death of a loved one or the death of a marriage. And I see those very people setting the table for others who find their way here. And with that very presence, with that very ministry, I see Lazarus in you. I see people who try to do the right thing over and over again. And for some reason, job loss or chaos at home, addiction or the decline of a parent... For whatever reason, life just keeps knocking you down over and over again. And you're Lazarus at the table. God has raised you from the dead over and over and over again. And there is communion with you. And it's hard to despair. 
I say that because I think most of us come here thinking we're Mary and Martha. Mary or Martha. We're here grieving. We're wailing. We're waiting on Good Friday, waiting for Easter Jesus to come and fix it. But I see Lazarus in you. I see a world that desperately needs to feast with you and with Jesus. A world that easily and often slips into despair. People who right now are engulfed in that wave of emotions. You have them in your life. I'm sure you have someone in mind. You work with them. You live next to them. You know people who live in that desperate, bottomless hopelessness. Be Lazarus to them. Tell them the stories of how God has brought you to life. Tell them about how God has called you by name. Even when you were in a dark tomb and you stumbled out and found life again. In a world that is dying of hopelessness. Be Lazarus. Call them here to this table. Church is that community made up of Lazaruses who tell the story until hope becomes infectious. But here's the key. Without knowing the weight of hopelessness that accompanies any death, of any kind in our lives, without the gravity of despair at the grave, let's be honest, we would not be impressed. We would not be in awe. We would not stand in splendid wonder at the empty tomb. Without the weight of empty space at the table, crowds would not gather at the feast to watch a dead man eat again. They wouldn't. Why would they? It's just a man eating. Yes, the church mothers and fathers say despair is a sin, but perhaps this is why it's so ubiquitous, so universally experienced by all of us, so tempting, so inevitable. In Jesus' absence, you can almost hear him from the cross scream out for himself, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, you were not here. It seems like Jesus' absence when Mary and Martha scream, when we scream, you were not here. It seems like Jesus says, that's okay. Be a bit hopeless. Because in that empty kitchen, in those silent bedsheets, in that freshly turned grave, in that void of despair, you create a space in your story for me. You begin to set a place at the table so that your resurrection can be marveled at by you and I together and by all those you invite to the table You begin to set a place at the table so that your resurrection can be marveled at because it is interweaved with mine. 